Finding Purpose, The Song of My Life, New Era, Episode 55, New House and New Family. Welcome back, friends. Little Naomi was the first one to wake up in our new room. She was all smiles when she realized she was sleeping in Mommy and Daddy's bed, and I was thankful that I had a good night's sleep on a bed in a house rather than on a boat. The German feather quilts, Feta Decken, had kept us really warm in the night, but climbing out of bed we felt the chill of our room. The house had been sitting empty for a long time, which explained why it was so cold. There were no heaters and also no animals in the stalls to warm up the place. I decided to wear my long johns under my corduroy skirt and a couple of sweaters. Thomas took Naomi over to the window, reminding me of the day we moved into living waters. He pointed towards the forest and said, Look, Naomi, there are the trees. In German we say, Wald. So right there began our language lesson. To start the morning off, I realized that it was very good that we had brought Naomi's potty chair with us. I was going to have to get used to the routine of carrying the potty bowl up the stairs through the kitchen to the toilet room. I still couldn't believe that we also had to go through a bedroom. Gregor and Linda would be arriving in a few days, and they were not going to be happy about this arrangement. After I got Naomi dressed, we went upstairs for breakfast. You had to walk through the tiny kitchen to enter the living room. Lori and Elgrita were already making oatmeal for everyone. Peter and Jackie and their boys joined us, so we got the children set up with pillows on the chairs since there weren't enough high chairs. Lauren and Lori had a little girl the same age, so it was going to be fun to see how the children would get along. Once Elgrita's husband, Alan, and the young man, Gregor, sat down, we were 10 people. Our communication from that day on was a blend of English and German. This was our first time sharing a meal and realizing we were now living together. Lauren and Lori started telling their story of how they ended up in this farmhouse. The ministry house where they had lived before wasn't working out anymore. Lauren had contacted Jim and Eureka to tell him that their plans had changed. He said that our team should postpone the trip to Germany. Well, by then it was too late to cancel. Our families in California were packed and the flights and boat trips already booked. Unfortunately, Peter had not been informed about the details of the housing situation. I think Jim's attitude was, it will work out somehow. The Lord will make a way. This meant that Lauren and Alan were under pressure to find a large house quickly. An older man they knew from church offered his empty farmhouse free of rent. He told them that he would help them get it ready. When they went to check it out, they decided that it was big enough, but there was a lot to do. There were some old cupboards and closets still in there that needed to be emptied out, and the whole place needed a major washing down. Friends of theirs started donating beds, closets, baby cribs, and rugs. Lauren and Alan worked around the clock, loading furniture into the van and setting up closets in the various rooms. I guess when they were planning how many bedrooms were needed, they got the idea to put six of the children in one room on the ground floor. Lori told us about how generous their friends were in supplying bedding, towels, baby and children's clothes in all sizes, and the dishes on our breakfast table had been a wedding present for Alan and Elgrita. 
Listening to the whole development helped us appreciate what they had gone through in the last few weeks. Now we all face the same challenge, getting to know each other, plus figuring out what the next step should be. After the children got down from the table, Peter launched into his main concerns about the problems with the house. He had the responsibility towards our three families, who had also gone through a lot to move to Germany. Jim Durkin had sent him out to start a church ministry and to prepare the way for more workers from the States. He had just come from a ministry in Los Angeles where he was an elder. He and Jackie had a lot of experience in living communally, starting out in the early days of the Lighthouse Ranch and then living with the evangelistic team in Weot. He seemed to take on a leadership role and told us that he was going to call Jim Durkin and tell him that we needed money for important basics in the house. They were wood-burning stoves in all of the bedrooms, hot running water, meaning specifically putting in a shower, and making large drying racks for the laundry like they used at the ranches. Then we started discussing the bedroom situation. There were two small rooms off the entry hall that were near the stairs, the stalls, and the basement. Then to the left was a room with a tiled floor, a sink, and a modern washing machine. Walking through that room was another room with no door to a short hallway and a bedroom. To the right was the room with the cribs, and then walking through that room was Lauren's family's bedroom. I guess as the farmer was building the house, instead of wasting space for hallways and doors, they just built the rooms connected to each other. The men decided that they would start by moving out the cribs from the downstairs room. Then the idea came up, since Thomas and I would soon have two children, that we should move in there. That was a good idea, except that it was one of those walk-through rooms. Thomas said that it shouldn't be a problem. He could build a makeshift hallway with a door separating the two bedrooms. Another topic was food for the household, since it wasn't clear what kind of budget we had. Lauren said, oh, that's not a problem because we have lots of peanut butter and friends that bring us day-old bread from their bakery. And for the main meal, the Mittagessen, he had bought tons of potatoes. We couldn't imagine what he meant, so he took us downstairs and opened up the cellar door. He was quite pleased, and we were shocked to see a fenced-in bin piled high with potatoes. He said, this will last us for the whole winter. After Peter saw those potatoes, he added to the list for financial support a budget for food. Plus, we needed gas money for transporting stoves and necessary building supplies. After our meeting, Thomas reminded Peter that we were planning on visiting his family in Berlin that week. None of us had expected that there would be so much work to do on arriving, but Peter still said it's not a problem, we should go. So the guys got busy moving the cribs and us ladies talked about the meal plans. Jackie and I agreed with Lori to keep their German tradition of having the warm meal between 12 and 1 o'clock. Then in the early evening, we would have sandwiches, which meant less cleanup afterwards. We decided to make a weekly schedule amongst us, taking turns with the cooking and washing dishes. We also thought it was a good idea that whoever wasn't cooking would supervise the children. Jackie and I were quite impressed how Lori and Elgrita whipped up a nice mitagessen using the staples, potatoes, carrots, and cabbage. 
Hopefully our children would get used to German cooking. After lunch that day, we all had naps with the kids. We felt like we had jet lag after all of our travels. In the afternoon, Lori suggested we let the children play out in the garden. The only toys they had were little buckets and spoons, but they were fine with that. The garden area was a nice size with a couple of fruit trees. On one side was a short wire fence that was connected to stone pillars. There was a tall wooden fence on the other side of the property. We were glad for the sake of the children there were fences because the house was on a main road. After things had quieted down in the evening, Thomas called his mother like he had promised to do. She was so thrilled to hear his voice saying, Hallo Mutti, we are in Nienberg now. He told her we would come in a couple of days to visit them for Christmas. He said he would get back to her about the arrival time of our train because she wanted to meet us there. Our second night, I tucked Naomi into the crib that Thomas had set up in our room. We hoped she would be comfortable going to sleep while we were upstairs with the adults. All of our children would have a lot to get adjusted to in the new surroundings. When Thomas and I finally crawled into bed that night, we were both overwhelmed, realizing that we were finally back in Germany. Our experiences together in West Berlin in 1970 were a thing of the past. Now everything had changed. We had a new purpose in life. We felt we were ready for the challenges that would lie ahead. We were encouraged by Floyd's words to us, God has sent you to Germany. The next day, I was busy reorganizing our travel bags for the trip to Berlin. I packed my mom's Christmas card and the tape we made for Thomas's family. The three of us needed to bathe, so that was our first tryout, washing in our bedroom. Thomas brought us a bucket of cold water from the laundry room, and I boiled a pot of water in the kitchen. I had a couple of towels and washcloths, so that worked out pretty good. We both washed our hair over the kitchen sink. When Lori heard that we were traveling by train, she offered that we take one of the strollers that were lined up in the entry hall. That would make the trip so much easier for us. On our third day, Lauren took us early in the morning to the train station in Nienberg that would take us to Hanover. There we would transfer to the train going to West Berlin. As soon as we were standing on the waiting platform and hearing everyone speaking German, reality hit me. The signs for the trains, the times of departure written in U.S. military clock numbers, and the announcements over the loudspeakers. I was glad that I only had to follow Thomas, my Berliner boy, and he was happy that he was back in his element, his home country. Shortly after we had found our seats on the train, the conductor in uniform came down the aisle checking people's tickets saying, Die Fahrkarte bitte. Berlin was less than 200 miles away, but it was still going to be a long day for us. The trip should take around four hours, depending on if everything went smoothly at the border controls. Thomas told me that when we approach the East German border, guards will be coming onto the train to check our passports. He said we need to be very quiet and serious, otherwise they might get aggravated. As long as there were no suspicious people on board, the train would continue on its journey through East Germany. Then the same procedure would take place again before being allowed to drive into West Berlin. The train would stop and border control would come on board and check the passports. 
We had a nice train ride, and it was a fun adventure for Naomi. She liked watching out the windows as we sped by the towns and eating her sandwich from the little fold-out table. We arrived on schedule at the train station in West Berlin, Bonhof Zoo. When we stepped out of the train, me with Naomi and Thomas with the big stroller, there was Nadia on the platform waiting with a big smile on her face. It had only been 10 months since we had seen each other in California, but this time we all hugged and cried knowing that we had come to stay. Nadia didn't have a car, so we headed outside to the bus station. It would take another 45 minutes to get to his family's apartment in Lichterfelde. It's impossible to describe the emotions that Thomas and I felt when we were walking up those steps to the apartment. He had spent his teenage years there, and that is where my sister and I had stayed in the summer of 1970. It was a comforting place that reminded us both of home. We parked Naomi's stroller in the hallway and carried our bags into the house. There was Nadia's mother and his brother Michael and his father was waiting in the living room. It was such a happy reunion. The last time his dad had seen his son was when he was 19 and on his way to America. Now he was back home with his wife, his daughter, and another baby on the way. Nadia showed Naomi the old wooden rocking horse that she had brought up from the basement, and she gave her a necklace of large colored wooden beads to play with. Thomas's grandmother, Omi, was busy in the kitchen as I always remembered her cooking the meal for the family. Thomas peeked in to see his favorite German-style cheesecake called Käsekuchen that Nadia had made for the dessert. In that kitchen, I had also made a cake for Thomas to say goodbye when I thought I would never see him again. The whole family had a lot of catching up to do and enjoyed their conversations while we ate together sitting around the couch table. And I, as usual, only understood half of what was being said. I did understand Edward when he asked Thomas why we didn't come back to West Berlin. That was a good opportunity for Thomas to explain the reasons we came and that we had been invited by friends who had a house and a ministry in Nienburg. Nadia had prepared Thomas's old bedroom for the three of us to sleep in. She had even set up a child's travel bed for Naomi. In that same room, we had spent many nights talking about the deep things of life, never expecting that we would end up married. The next morning was fun. Omi arrived with fresh white rolls called shrippen. She prepared soft-boiled eggs, served in little cups, and she set out butter, jam, and cheese. We were definitely getting spoiled after knowing what our friends were eating at the farmhouse. Since we had one day left before the stores closed for Christmas, Nadia said she wanted to take us shopping. That was a nice surprise, and we appreciated her offer, because Thomas and I needed proper winter coats and Naomi needed winter boots. That day was a special outing for Thomas, because we went to Steglitz, his old stomping grounds where he had gone to high school. Naomi had already had the experience of shopping with my mom in California, but this time the lady in the shoe store was talking German to her, and Thomas translated. I could see that she was going to be learning English and German at the same time. She wasn't even two years old yet. At home that evening, we asked Nadia if we could all take baths and wash our hair. 
That's when she first heard about our living circumstances at the farmhouse. She was shocked and said, you are having a baby in four months. That is no place to be living with having a newborn. But Thomas reassured her that the men were going to work hard to renovate the house before our baby was born. We celebrated Christmas Day together, and then it was time for us to leave the next day for Nienburg. It was sad to say goodbye, but Thomas said he would come again, and Nadia told us that she wanted to come and visit after the baby was born. She got out her telephone book and wrote down our new address, Hanoverische Straße, 106, uh, 106, 307, Nienburg an der Weser. We had another long day of traveling, but felt refreshed and excited that we were back in Germany. When we watched out the window driving through Berlin, we talked about all the memories we had shared, meeting and then living there together. And always we would come back to the same thing, how amazed and thankful we were that Jesus had saved us. And that is the whole reason we were back, to be witnesses of the truth. In closing today, when I think back to our first week in Germany, I can see that Thomas and I were not so upset about the situation at the farmhouse. As a child, his family had lived in an old building that was built before the war, and we had also lived together in an old apartment and shared a bathroom with a guy that lived next to us. I even remember washing our clothes by hand in the bathtub there. The fact that Thomas was German and we had a family nearby gave us confidence for this new life. Like Jim had told us, everything is going to work out just fine. Trust the Lord. So take care, friends, and bye for now. Don't forget to check out the photos of those days on Instagram and Facebook.